¿Qué lo que, mi gente? ¿Qué lo que? Welcome y bienvenidos as we look to serve you a nice heaping of audio mangu for your soul. This is your Que lo que podcast and I am your co-host, Elbert Garcia. And with me today, helping to shine a light on Dominicans who are having an impact for and on our communities is my co-host, the ever so talented, always gracious, Vanessa Fernandez Lovely. Venus, ¿cómo está? ¿Qué lo que? Ay, mira, este día fue, ni te puedo explicar. I love it, I love it, I love it. I'm so excited today. Well, you know, it's, you know, Venus, you've been, you know, preparing us here for 2020, telling us about, you know, this year's next elections and, and the great job, you've been doing a great job hyping us all up about Dominicans who are running for office over here. That's right. We have Dr. Leonardo Duran and Gabby De Jesus just started here in Florida. Yeah, but you know, as important as people are running, behind, the people behind the scenes are just as important, right? Those are the folks who are not just working on campaigns, but setting that up that environment that people, um, so that folks can actually run. Um, and with us here today is one of those people. Philip Jerez, he's a former Teach for America history teacher, congressional aide for Representative Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Um, and Phil was most importantly recently an important member of the team that helped make Tallahassee Mayor Andrew Gillum the Democratic nominee for Florida governor last year. Um, it was an historic run that just fell short, um, a little a little short of a, of a half a percent. Um, today, he's also president of Progress for Florida, um, and he'll tell us a little bit about some of the work that he's doing there. So, I'll tell you. Pero coño, que resume. Sí, este tipo tiene trabajo y tiene Este es un tigre de verdad, un tigre de política. Pero dígame, Phil, welcome. ¿Qué lo que? ¿Qué lo que? Thank you for having me. Mira, Phil. Este, look, cuéntanos, tell us, how did you get involved in politics? You know, was it something that you always were into or how did it come about? So the interesting thing is that I had never done anything political until I was a teacher uh, teaching in Miami at Miami Central High School. Um, you know, I always kind of like paid attention to the news. I grew up in the Bronx, moved here to teach. Um, and while I was teaching, and one of the reasons I got into teaching was because education was what helped me, you know, get to a better circumstance in life. And I wanted to understand more about that system and be able to give back. Um, and so I was a high school history teacher here in Miami. Um, and although I love teaching, I love my kids, right? And I think teachers do one of the hardest jobs in this country and one of the most important jobs in the world. Um, but what I saw was that year over year, no matter how much impact I had on any one student, I would get the next batch of kids and I would start to see the same symptoms. Right. That, you know, put kids in a position where, you know, everything was against them. And yes, some succeeded and got through the cracks. But year after year, you know, the lack of health care to be able to get a good meal. The fact that parents have to work not yeah. one job or two or three jobs just to make ends meet. That these things really hinder the students abilities to succeed in school. Um, and I started to ask myself the question, right? There are people making these decisions for our kids in our communities. Who are they? What kind of decisions are they making? Have they ever been in the classroom? Have they ever walked the halls of the school? Um, and so I had a friend 
who brought me to my first uh, Miami-Dade Young Democrats meeting. And I just kept going and I kept learning. And I started learning about elected officials and, you know, wanted to know more and get more involved, started volunteering. And I think the really funny thing is that, like, I graduated as a libertarian of my high school, went to Columbia, and I still didn't really understand, so understood exactly what an elected official did until I started working for one. Um, it was, I was in my third year of teaching and I had a friend who said he heard about this job opportunity to be a district outreach coordinator. Didn't really understand what that meant, but I was like, you know, I want to be in government. I want to learn more. Um, so I interviewed, you know, did my homework, got the job. I worked for Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz for three years. And in that role, I really not only learned what like a member of Congress does and, you know, really how the different uh, levels of government function um, in serving our constituents on a day to day basis, but also said to myself, wow, if we have this one person who could do a really great job, what would it look like if we had more people? who right, like fell into my value system and could do a really great job. And so I started volunteering on campaigns and said, you know, this is the means to an end. You campaign for someone, you get them elected. They enact hopefully good policy. Um, and so did that for a little bit of while, went to a bunch of training boot camps, whatever you want to call them, um, and had a colleague who worked with me at the member of Congress's office who then went on to work for Tallahassee Mayor Andrew Gillum. And we just kept in touch. You know, I would always tell them, was going on in South Florida. Um, and when the time came that they were looking for a political director, I interviewed, um, spoke with Mayor Gillum for about an hour. Um, and he gave me the opportunity to serve as political director in the primary campaign. And, you know, we were very blessed to, you know, one, work really hard, come with a different theory of change around what is needed and required for our communities and see that manifest itself in the primary victory. And although we came up short, um, you know, I am inspired and empowered um, by what we were able to do then. And it gives me hope for what we're able to do in 2020. Yeah, I don't know. You know, one of the things that, that, that is interesting is that, you know, all you, you've seen your life has gone through a bunch of different places, right? You've been yeah. in Bronx, you've been in Miami, um, you know, you've gone, you know, you've worked a member of Congress, you've bought an Ivy League institution, um, you've had, and you've had all this experience in terms of different campaigns. When it comes to outreach, right, when it comes to engaging people, what are some of the lessons that, that you've learned that, like, are key to doing that, that, that stuff, right? You know, from your, you know, from your experiences, you know, both personal and professional. Yeah. Yeah, I think, so it's, it's funny that you asked, asked me that question, um, because I think it, it really is at the root of, like, the work that I do and how I interact with people. One, growing up in the Bronx and then studying psychology, right, confirms for me that every single human being is only trying to survive, right? And survival for different people looks extremely different based on their circumstances, right? And two, if I know this, right, then it is imperative that we meet people where they are, right? Yeah. And so when we understand these two things, right, that allows you to come into a position no matter what kind of role you're playing, federal government, you're working for an advocacy, whatever it is, right? That when you are doing outreach, when you're reaching out to people, really what you're trying to do is learn how you can help them. And you can only learn how you can help them when you walk into this space 
knowing one that people are just trying to survive so what what does survival look like for them right and if so how how can we change that frame of thinking through the services that we can provide whatever that is yeah and i think it's also interesting because i think for some people survival is immediate mm. so the immediate survival and for some people it's more long term mm. and so it's, so depending on, on the privilege of your circumstance people will make those decisions based on either short-term urgencies yeah. versus let's see like long term Right and 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 what not just for the kids but like for the generations whether that means like wealth accumulation or you know it's a difference between purchasing something immediately and, and investing quote unquote in terms of something like that there right um, how and to, as well as those experiences how have your your personal your childhood experiences um, and your Dominican heritage also informed your political instincts mm. right, in terms of the way in, you know, and that meaning like how you do the job and, and the manner in which you you engage folks yeah yeah. I believe that being a Dominican who grew up in the Bronx, whose parents, you know, immigrated here um, and had their own struggles, um, understanding my heritage, right? Like that Taino, you know, Afro-Latino background and living in a place like the Bronx where on my floor, I live next to someone who was Korean, Jamaican, Puerto Rican, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and through those experiences and really seeing you know, thinking about my heritage, it put me in a position where I had to like always play both worlds. Right. Yes. And also understand. Right. And be in space with that. Um, and going through that, like mental gymnastics as a child, I think, right. You know, you asked the question about informs your political instincts, right? Like I understand that there's no singular story. Right. And that that should, you know, that defines the way that I approach working in politics. Right. Um, and work just working with people. Um, I'll give, I'll give you something, uh, a funny one, because this is something that like I battled like growing up. Um, so Spanish is not my first language. Right. I mean, although, although I will say that like, you know, my, my mother, right. Like spoke Spanish to me all the time. However, like I always responded in English. Um, I never really took a formal Spanish class until I got into college and did terrible. Um, but you know, it, but I was also like very much like involved in black culture growing up. And I would always think to myself that I was like too black to be Hispanic and too Hispanic to be black. And that was something that like now, you know, yeah, now we right struggle with, right. That tension. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think I think a lot, and I think, and, and just from personal experience, look, I, as someone who Spanish was always spoken at home, um, and I always responded at home, and still came out speaking Spanish pretty badly, right? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to let you know, like, sometimes it doesn't matter how much you practice it, if you're practicing it wrong, you're just kind of still yeah. practicing it wrong, right? So, so I, you know, that's just a personal, and, like, you and, know. And I'll <laughs> just add, that's so funny, because, like, in my house, half my house spoke Spanish, only Spanish. The other half was very American, very English. So how, you know, we're all Dominican, but then even growing up, it's like, because my grandma, when she moved to this country, she made it a point to learn because she came here not speaking anything and married an American. Yeah. So it was, she was like, I'm, she still said breakfast and stuff to this day. Well, I think language is a very powerful thing. You see that here in Miami, right? But I think for me growing up, Language is also uh, a way to, um, to to almost I don't want to say divide, but definitely like stress like class. Yes. Si tú eres español muy bien, hablas con los españoles con sus cosas y sus cosas así y cosas like 
you were a particular class, and to a certain degree, I mean, maybe you were a little bit of a come mielda, you know, like, you know, but but there's all these, like, all these stereotypes and all these kind of aspects. For me, also, language, especially in my household, was also a really interesting play, right? Because my parents, um, they always straddled the class line. Um, my dad coming from a more particularly better um, quote unquote, you know, middle class one and my mom coming from like, you know, ironically, I said to somebody else, like my dad, the darker one was actually had more money, and my mother, yeah. the lighter one, the lighter one was the one that was poorer, right? And so, like, and so for us, language was as much about power and class Absolutely. and stuff like that, right? And so that also like, kind of seeped into our own embrace or maybe lack of embrace, um, you know, in terms of language and stuff like that, right? So, I mean, I think you, you really speak upon a really important point that, like, as Dominicans, sometimes they're almost looking, there's always, it almost seems like there's always a test as you're passing, yeah. Like, whether, of what you're passing or who you're passing through or, like, yeah. you know, in terms of that kind of stuff there, right? I mean, yeah. it's got to be a difficult kind of... I just, yeah. I just bust out that, like, I support La Aguila. <laughs> Oh my God, that's so funny. Whenever in doubt. Yeah. yeah. But now that we're talking about language, you know, it's kind of like, let's not even go there. You know, you're from the Bronx, which we always, you know, I'm I'm a New Yorker as well, and you're as, uh, as yeah. well as Albert. El, uh, you know, New York has its own culture. Yeah. And Dominican New York also has its own culture. And then you come here <laughs> to Miami, to Miami, to Florida, where we do, you know, it's not known, let's be, let's, let's, vamos a claro, it's not known for our Dominican population. Right. But we do, do have a very large Dominican population. Absolutely. We have areas like Alapata, but it's also different. And now that you're in politics and you've gone into different areas, like, can you tell me how you feel about those differences, like in or how you reacted? Because yeah. we already have our subculture within our culture. I can tell you that I was very upset that I could not find a local place to dance bachata. <laughs> Typical. I mean, you know, yeah. for real, right? Yeah. Like, but, you know, <laughs> the, the, and I think that this actually is like, there's a little bit of a case in point that like I can go to Dykeman or Washington Heights or, or even a lot of different places in Manhattan and throughout the Bronx and just walk into a place that like felt very Dominican, right? Where we, we do have like a couple of like really great spots, but they're so stretched out, few and far in between, you know, and it speaks to this idea that like, Yes, you know, people don't know that there's a large Dominican population because we're spread out geographically, right? And in Miami, well, I don't want to say Miami, in a lot of places, right? Like, when you talk about, like, constructs of power, a lot of it is with space and geography, right? right? Like, politically, a voting block, right? Which voting block are you serving? And so when folks are kind of spread out, Right. You know, I'm not saying that we all need to move together, although that'd be really cool. But yeah. it's like this idea of consolidating or like deconstructing power. Right. Right? Yes, yes, yes. Yes. And I also think the other thing, too, is that and I think I think the class, I think that there, there's enough to be said about why people get here to Florida right? Oh, yeah. and like and how they got here and and you know and and not just their economic circumstances, but just in general, like how they're getting here and the differences within that. Um, but there's also, I think. Until very recently, there hasn't been a benefit to being outspokenly Dominican or to be, to be honest, sure. like outspokenly non-Cuban. Yeah, right. That's yeah, right. yeah I, I would I would concur there because I grew up, you know, in Miami, and you know, it's uh, there wasn't like you, you rather say that you say Latina. You know what I mean? Than yeah. saying Dominicana because there's also a class system and a 
colorism. Absolutely. You know what I mean? With going into a very, you know, unfortunately a Cuban area and then they have their class system. And yes, I do speak Spanish, I español, you know, but then I'm still like a third class citizen yeah. for them because I, you know, I speak Spanish good, but I'm kind of dark skinned and then I'm Dominican and maybe, and historically, when you look at the Latin history, not American history, guys, uh, you know, there have been some issues, you know, like there's a Dominican that helped and made the independence of Cuba. You don't really recognize that, but you know, it's, it's the truth. And, but there's also that, that personal, like, just like what happened with the Bay of Pigs, you have that personal history of that struggle because that happened. Now I don't want to deal with them. That unfortunately, this is generations newer, and you're like, that happened like 30 years ago, people. Oh. <laughs> okay, you know they don't let it go, and and I do find that we have that. Do you still see that in 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 your political dealings of like that that message of when you talk to our Dominican people or Latin people? That they have that, that is just like, well, tú sabes, 30 años atrás, esta gente me hicieron esto, and you're just like, well, that was, can we talk about what's happening now? Like, do you still feel that as well? And I, I, Every single day, right? And I think that what has to be true throughout the, throughout the process of, like, engaging people and, like, challenging those beliefs is that we also have to, like, recognize, acknowledge, and, like, honor those experiences and those beliefs um, because those are things that affected people's families, generations of their families, right? Money, power, etc. People were, you know, jailed, murdered, whatever in, other place, in, other, in a lot of cases, even in DR. Um, and so walking into those conversations and trying to change someone's frame of thinking about like how then was it now? It is very tough. It's not impossible, right? I think language, right, is important, right? The, the words that we use and the way that we communicate, you know, and walking into those spaces, understanding, right? Like we hear all the time when, when we're talking about Latinos that like the topic is immigration, but like that's not everything, right? And it's different for different groups yeah. because of those different experiences. And that takes a lot of nuance, right? And it's not easy, right? It's really hard. Um, you know, obviously something that is advantageous is that like now we're having second and third generations of Latinos, not only in Miami, but across the country um, who are willing to, because they don't, they're not proximal to those experiences, right? Have a much easier time like grasping some of these ideas and saying like, oh, this isn't that. Right. I see. And so, again, it's, it, you know, we, we need to do as much as possible not to demonize people for like those like beliefs. Um, but just thinking about how we walk into these conversations. Right. Because, again, at the end of the day, everyone's just trying to survive. That's true. That's and, and I think the other thing and, and I think one of the things that's interesting and I'm curious in terms of in some of the work you're doing now with, with Progress for Florida is, is I think you're seeing this shift, right? You're seeing this change in terms of people doing it. Um, it we're kind of calling this weird and this weird moment where you have to invest in the conversation, right? Um, but the, but there's an urgency to the moment, right? So it's almost like we're in a situation where people are hungry, but it takes time to cook the meat. Absolutely. Right? So how, you know, like, so how do you balance, right? Like you, there's some people who can only be taken, a conversation can only take them a certain way, a certain part, but you need them to also act immediately. So I'm just curious in terms of understanding, you know, that reality of the urgency of the now. Now, how are you folding that into your work that you're doing now in terms of progress with Florida? 
what, especially in a state like Florida, right, which is, and I'll still say it's a 50-50 state, um, there is a sexiness to the the all or nothing kind of approach, right? That we can do all these things, and if we can't do it, we're not investing in it, or we're not going to put time, energy, or effort. You know, and what that means is that in a state of 67 counties, right, if we believe that investing in only 7 to 10 of them, right, makes sense, and that's where we're going to maximize turnout, and for, not, I don't want to say forget, but maybe not put as much attention to the other 57, that's a losing strategy every single time, right? And if we haven't learned, right, like, I remember I got here to Miami and and uh, there was a gubernatorial election. And funny enough, then I end up working on a gubernatorial election. And there were, you know, questions that, you know, I had, you know, asked myself, like, if we lost then and had not prepared for now, like we're, you know, we're just running in a hamster wheel. Yeah. Right. You know, I, we were kind of like rebuilding, reinventing the wheel all over again when we have done this time and time again, not just at the gubernatorial level, but at the local level, school board, dog catcher, you know, whatever. But, you know, it's, it's, it's important to, to, you know, be sober, right. And say that like, this is going to take not one campaign cycle, but multiple campaign cycles, right? And that process of investing into people and communities and building culture is tough, right? It doesn't happen overnight, right? For me, like the, the microcosm of that was my classroom, right? It wasn't after week one that like, you know, I, I got my, my students to like buy into like this goal that we're trying to achieve, whether it was, you know, personal growth, passing the test score, whatever it might be, you know, maybe every single student had to fail the first quarter and that's okay. Right. And over time, right. When you do it consistently, repeatedly, you show up early and you show up often and you continue to do it. People learn to trust you. Right. You're here. You're present. Right. Um, and, and the thing with, with with power. Right. And I think when we talk about voting is that when you don't do those things over a long period of time, we see communities, our communities see these things as transactions. Right. It's not relationships. It's their transactions. Right. And then we talk about the way that our communities operate when elections come around is because they've been grown to learn that it's transactions. Right. right? This is not about a real investment. This is you want my vote, right? So I'm supposed to do something for you. What are you doing for me kind of thing? Um, and again, that, that work is hard, right? Pero este tigre inteligente. Yo no sé. Muy inteligente. Él es más licenciado. Él tiene degrees and stuff, but it's also born out of real experiences, right? Like on the ground. That's the one thing that you can have all the political science courses, you're going to have all the things, right? But at the end of it's the day, the work. it's the work, right? It's a day in and day out work, right? It's not only that, that work that you're doing year one in the classroom, but it's also you coming back year two and you also as a teacher then knowing, right? Like, what do you have to do? Yeah. They hear your reputation, but then you also know, okay, what I did well, what I didn't do well, right? And and the investment in that is is what's, um, what's important. And look, I mean, we believe here at Que Lo Que that, that, that this is part of the culture building process, right? That if we, can, if we can have these conversations, if we can, people can, can talk you know, open up spaces where they can talk about 
culture and we can talk about um, and, and both celebrate and talk about culture, yeah. that's, that's opening up spaces. Yes, and understand that it's culture is something that's living and breathing and it moves and it changes. It's not static. It doesn't stay the same and anything can be changed and it, as long as you can breathe and keep on moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I tell you, but the, one of the things that, that we need to do to always keep moving forward is that we have to get to a very special part of our program. My importante. My importante. the thing that the People want to know. The people want the to know. The hard-hitting right. questions. Right. These are, and so this is our rapid-fire. This is going to lead us through this. Our rapid-fire Dominican, you know, Dominican question and answer. Tú estás preparado. Because we are mangu for your soul, and you cannot have mangu without the blessed Now, merengue or bachata? Bachata. Mira, didn't even like... Ni esperó. Ni esperó. Totone o maduro? Maduro. Porque un poquito, tú sabes, un momento, un momento. Okay. He's the sweetness. He wants the sweetness. I get it. You know, I'm going to change it up for you a little bit. Brugal o presidente? Brugal. Sí, con saco. Sí. Él tiene saco fuerte cuando sí, está tomando. Como, como, como un dominicano James Bond. Ajá. I like it. Un dominicano James Bond. That's not a bad idea. No, te digo. Would you be interested do, in being do, the nice? Doble 47. Doble 47. I like that. Well, as always, I must say it was a pleasure speaking with you. Um, I think we have open. Is there anybody Dominican, and I'm going to specifically say Dominican, that influenced you um, or that you think, you know, people need to know, you know, it could be from anywhere in history. It doesn't have to be political, but, oh, you know, it's a Dominican show. Hablamos de Dominicano. Anyone that you can think of, because that's also important for us to know, because sometimes we don't know. Yeah. And maybe you can open our eyes. And, and I'll even go further that it's someone in terms of history. And also, it could also be your own colleagues making history today. Yeah. Right? Like Dominican or whatever, someone like that, that you say, go not you look, you know, because we like to pay it forward here in Keloke. We want people to know and some of that stuff. So, you know, we're all about here trying to also educate. Uh, a Dominican influencer. <laughs> I got you. Um, so... I will tell you that the person who has influenced me, Dominican influencer, and a special shout out to her because it's her birthday today. Oh, um, mira. Um, Cumpleaños feliz. <laughs> and it's my sister. Um, so my sister, Melissa, uh, she's three years older than me. Uh, she lives in Sacramento right now. Um, she's in school, finishing that up. Um, and her journey has been a lot different, right? It's been different compared to a lot of people. Um, but you know, that hasn't mattered, you know, that hasn't stopped her. And despite whatever struggles she and challenges that she has had, right? Like she was the first one to do it. And so like, I got to learn after her, um, she is still, you know, brilliant and powerful and doing the damn thing. And now like I'm watching her like do her activism stuff in California and like, you know, it inspires me to like keep going. Um, especially, 
you know, coming from like a very interesting household. Um, um, and so, you know, for, for, I, I will say that she is someone that like, you know, when I wake up every day, like inspires me. I, you know, so you bring up a really, really good point. I think, you know, I think when I think about my own family, like I'm the youngest of three, I think of my, 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 my sister is seven years older than me. Mm. Right. And when I think of all the things, I mean, and, you know, without putting family, you know, Bonchicha out there, right? Like, you know, she grew up in a, you know, my, my dad was a pretty hard dad, you know, classic, like, you know, Dominican father, you should couldn't do anything without the three of us, couldn't go outside, couldn't date, like, dinner. And yet, like, so, and, and again, she's the first one to go to college, the first one to do this. There's a lot of mistakes that she and the family went through, right, that, yeah. that we learn from because they learn and do. Um, and yet, you know, I couldn't think of doing any of the steps I did in terms of get to a place I without, you know, having that as, as a mom. So, um, real interesting as you point out, because I think for a lot of us, and I think for a lot of men, you know, we look at, at the women in our lives, not mm. just our mothers, but our sisters and our, our, our sister friends. Um, and they add as real, like, inspirations and, and folks who kind of blaze the trail for us and don't get enough of the credit that, that Absolutely. they deserve, you know? Absolutely. Well, Melissa... Melissa, tú me oye. Feliz cumpleaños. And your brother Philip, uh, you know, is uh, highlighting you. So please, when you hear this, we invite you to be on the show. But you know, please welcome. We want to hear your story because it's important. You know, it's it's and I really personally uh I, I love the fact that it's your sister. I mean, um, because it's true. We forget that sometimes there are people, and it's not only sometimes your sister that have made mistakes that you can kind of create because you know, especially when you're the first one in a family, you know, they did this first and did that first, and sometimes you're even sometimes compared, but tu hermano lo hizo, este lo hizo, and then there's in our family we have that it's a different culture you know what I mean like again it's just knowing that it grows and shows but it's so nice and especially because it's her birthday yeah. oh my God, we definitely have to make sure we send this out to her and, uh, but also like, is, is there any last thoughts that you would like to say I know like you know we've got you know, 2020 election is, is is next year in a couple of weeks you know as we're taping this in a couple of weeks it'll be you know election day this year is there anything you want to kind of last thoughts you want to say about um, you know about voting, civic engagement, things like that, that you want, you know, our listeners to kind of keep in mind. Yeah, absolutely. And if I could take a, a point of privilege, yeah. um, just to say thank you, uh, for doing this. Um, you know, when I, when I thought about like doing the podcast and even just like, honestly, like engaging in Dominican spaces growing up, like I think I shared with y'all a little bit, like, you know, how there's been tension there. And even, you know, someone I spoke to about maybe coming on the show and saying like, kind of like, I'm not Dominican enough kind of thing. Um, and that is not something that you know, is endemic to just the Dominican culture. It's endemic to a lot of different cultures. Um, and it's so important that y'all are doing this um, to highlight people, which is really cool. But also, you know, just like in cases like mine and something that we spoke about earlier, there's no singular story. Yes. Right. You know, my parents immigrated here. My father went to college. La Was. Uh, my mother did not. Right. Um, my sister and I had two very different experiences. I've only been to the Dominican Republic one time. That was when I was 10 years old. Yeah. 
And for me, what was so crazy, right? Like I grew up in the Bronx in the poorest congressional district in the U.S. Yeah. Right. But but when I went to Dominicans you are running for it now, right? You that's got right. Shout out Santo Domingo. You know, the crazy thing is that I remember like going to DR and like we live in, in Cotuí, right? Ah, okay. La Provincia Sanchez Ramirez. Wow. So I wanted to hit you with that. <laughs> You're like, right, right, right. You got it right. But, right, like, all the houses are numbered, like, uno siete, and it's just dirt roads. And I remember, like, when I went to my grandmother and I was like, you know, I'm, I want to take a shower. She was like, all right, grab that pill, you know, bucket pill, whatever, go to the well, come back. And, like, for me, that was such an eye-opening experience, right? Like, about how, not only how large the world is, right, but, like, how different our experiences and our perspectives are, right? And, you know, they were happy, right? Obviously, I don't want to minimize the things that they did not have, right? But, you know, obviously they all had their struggles, et cetera, but like they were able to make the most out of life. And I'll highlight that, but to circle back and say that, you know, you know, again, I think about my story and it is not what you would call like the typical like Dominican story. Yeah, I played baseball growing up and that's cool, but um, there are a lot of also different things about me and I know that are a lot of different things about other people, right? That when we bring them collectively into this into, into space, right? Like that's how we build power, right? And I think like what you guys are doing and help people are doing in uh Telling these stories is, is helping to start build that power. So I really appreciate it. You could be here another half an hour, right? In terms of vibing off each other, telling you about terms of our stories and things like that. Uh, I'm just going to cut it at that because you know, Llorando, lágrima, me está saliendo lágrima. No, y cuando ella empieza, olvídate, eso no se termina. We got keep going. Pero, Profil, look, it's not going to be the first time, right? You know, as they, as they, you know, as the old saying goes, it's, you know, it's not goodbye, it's goodnight, right? And so, you know, uh, we want to have you back on the show. We want to talk about getting you know, a delve a little more deeper in some of those issues that you brought up about, um, you know, talk about in terms of, um, you know, our relation to DR. Shout out to if there's any sponsor who wants to send us to DR so we could do the podcast in DR so it could be the second time that they'll go. <laughs> uh, we should do that, right? Um, but all in all truthfulness, I think, you know, what you talk about in terms of no singular story, it's not just that there's no singular story, but that our stories are always constantly changing. Yes. Our experiences are changing. Absolutely. We grow, right? Um, and so, you know, this is just one other, you know, one other episode um, in, in, in our growth and our growth as a podcast and our growth as, as hosts and folks. And, and we are so happy that, that you're here on this journey with us um, and, and are really, really happy um, to invite you back and to, and to do that. And um, can thank you again for my co-host in terms of Venus and being here, um, you know, uh, helping us get through this way. And of course, our listeners out there um, who are always tuning in to us and letting us know that, uh, what we should do and what we shouldn't do. As we say here at, at the podcast, um, as long as there's one future to tell and Dominicans a spotlight, Kelope will always be here. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.